Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Interim Police Superintendent Charlie Beck suspending merit promotions while he's in charge. The move just days before the sergeant promotional exam on Saturday. Critics claim it allowed the unqualified to move up since officers could be promoted based on time of service and recommendations regardless of their exam scores. Lightfoot called it a bold and important move. I think that um, we've heard from officers on an anecdotal basis but also in officer surveys that they don't have confidence in the merit promotion process. And that's just one of the big stories we're covering this week on our Friday News Roundup. With me is WTTW political correspondent and host Paris Schutz, Daily Line managing editor and City Hall reporter Heather Sharon, and Chicago Sun-Times columnist and ABC7 political analyst Laura Washington. All right, so let's start with that big announcement from Interim Police Superintendent Charlie Beck that he's ending merit promotions. Heather, how did the system work? So essentially, there were two ways to get promoted if you were a Chicago police officer. You had to take the test, but if you didn't score at the very top, your only way of getting promoted was to get one of the few merit promotions. Now, this was a system put in place by Mayor Richard M. Daley, who wanted to diversify the top brass of the police department, which was overwhelmingly white, and he wanted to do something about this. So it was thought that maybe the test was biased in some ways against black and Latino officers, so that this would solve that problem. It didn't. Instead, it became a way for officers who had clout, who were friends with the aldermen, or who went to the right fundraisers, or just knew a guy to get into the upper reaches. And what's interesting is that until this announcement, I had pretty much forgotten that way back in 2016, it was a decade ago, right? The Department of Justice, in its investigation of the police department, pointed this out as a source of corruption and problem that needed to be addressed. And we heard a lot from Mayor Rahm Emanuel about how the police department needed a new training facility to meet these new requirements. But we heard nothing about the merit promotion system until Charlie Beck comes to town and snaps his fingers and boof, it's gone, which is really an incredible turn of events. I mean, Laura, just kind of put this in context for us because he's been on the job for maybe a week at this point. This is a pretty big move for him. What kind of signal is he sending to CPD? He's sending a signal that he's really in charge and that he does intend to just be a caretaker. Remember, he came from L.A. and that's one place where they don't do this kind of promotion. They haven't done it for many years and most other big city uh, departments do not do promotion this way as well. So he is clearly sending a clear message that he's in charge. Lori Lightfoot's backing him up 100%, so it's sending a clear message that she's in the same place. But as you know, there's been some pushback from some of the minority aldermen who fear that this will be a disadvantage for minority candidates. That's right. We heard from Alderman Chris Taliaferro of Chicago's 29th Ward on the city's west side. He's also chairman of the city council's public safety committee. Let's listen. We want to continue to have uh, minorities represented, uh, and that's Hispanic particularly, and, and African Americans represented on our police department as supervisors in a capacity that's reflective of the city. You cannot get rid of merit. What do you make of that argument that this is going to impact CPD's ability to diversify the upper ranks, Laura? It's a strange argument to make, especially since the figure I saw is like 40 percent of the 
people who get those promotions are white. Most of the folks who have been benefiting have been white. And the other argument that, you know, we have to figure a way to go around the test, it sort of implies that candidates of color can't make the cut when it comes to testing. They're somehow in fear and they have to be given a certain unfair advantage in order to succeed. And Tally Fair is a former police officer as well. What would replace the system, Paris? Because you did some reporting on this. How will people now have access to getting these promotions? Well, I think it's going to strictly be based on the exam, isn't it? And Chris Taliaferro is upset, as are all their aldermen, because if you ever go to the budget hearings in budget season, the thing that aldermen are concerned the most about is, did my person uh, get this job? And if you look at the police department, there are all these deputies. and There's all these administrative jobs, and they become patronage jobs. So clearly this merit system became like another political patronage tool for aldermen to reward people. And when you look at Charlie Beck, you know, I spent a lot of time wondering why does Mayor Lightfoot want to bring in an interim? I mean, before this whole uh, Eddie Johnson stuff broke, I said, well, why not have Eddie Johnson stay on until you get a permanent replacement? But the reason is Charlie Beck's not beholden to anybody. I mean, he's here to, to wield the axe. He doesn't have to care about political considerations. He's going to cut a lot of people. He's going to cut the fat in the administrative part, and it doesn't matter how the politics are going to play out. Go ahead, Heather. I was just going to say that this is one of the few issues that the Fraternal Order of Police and the mayor agree on. And I thought that was surprising because, of course, we heard the mayor refer to the first vice president of the FOP as a clown on a hot mic and basically just say she was sorry that she was caught. So tensions have been high between the mayor and the FOP, but they're on board for this, which I think really should give you a sense of how deeply this was resented by many officers as just sort of keeping promotions out of the reach if you weren't among the favored few. And I think aldermen are going to have a really hard time sort of pushing back on this change because it's clear that it hadn't worked to diversify the top ranks. One one last point on the aldermen, and I think aldermen are, of course, politicians and they're political creatures. They're all about power. And having certain officers or certain lieutenants or certain commanders beholden is an important thing. So I think in their defense, one of the reasons they want to have this influence is because, particularly in minority communities, they're desperately trying to fight crime. So they want to be able to know they can pick up the phone and get the people in the police department that they need and that they trust. Hmm. It's the Friday News Roundup. When we break down the biggest local and state news of the week, our panel Today includes WTTW political correspondent and host Paris Schutz, Daily Line managing editor and City Hall reporter Heather Sharon, and Chicago Sun-Times columnist and ABC7 political analyst Laura Washington. Here are a few other stories we're following today. The House Judiciary Committee has approved two articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump. The charges now go to the full House for a vote that's expected next week. This morning's committee vote was split along party lines with 23 Democrats voting in favor and 17 Republicans opposed. After months of waiting, the U.S. and China have reached an initial deal on trade. The agreement to a phase one deal means that the U.S. won't impose new tariffs on Chinese goods that had been set to kick in this weekend. And Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul announced yesterday that his office has filed a lawsuit against the e-cigarette company Juul Labs. The lawsuit claims Juul marketed its products to minors and misrepresented the safety of its products. Raoul says in addition to the lawsuit, his office is looking into policy changes. Now, as we mentioned before, Charlie Beck is the interim superintendent for CPD. So the city is searching for a permanent replacement for former superintendent Eddie Johnson. A police board president, Gian Foreman, is leading the search process. And here's a bit of what he had to say about how public input factors into it. 
Some people want an insider, some people want an outsider, but there are some things that, uh, that hold true across the board. Transparency, honesty, um, someone willing to really dialogue with community and build relationships with community, someone who's willing to do their best effort to really solve the crime uh, that the city faces. That's Guillaume Foreman, the police board president. And Paris, just explain what the search process is as they're seeking this new superintendent. Well, the board has put out an application. They're asking for uh, resumes and video essays from uh, potential applicants about how you're going to you know, deal with crime reduction and how you're going to deal with managing a consent decree. And that's going to be key. I think that anybody that gets this job is going to be somebody that knows how to deal with a police department under a federal consent decree. So it's going to go quick once it starts. They, they say they're being proactive. They're not just waiting for people to come to them. They're talking to other mayors. They're talking to trade associations. They want to get the best pool of candidates. They're going to start looking at this in January. They're going to try and make the decision by March where they're going to have three finalists that they pick. And then the mayor is going to choose among those three finalists if it goes the way it's supposed to. Remember, last time it did not. Rahm Emanuel didn't like the three finalists that then police board president Lori Lightfoot presented to him. So he went around them and picked Eddie Johnson. I don't think that's going to happen this time. Public input, it's something that they have to do by law. And I think that these things are kind of sparsely attended. I mean, you you see three or four dozen people out at these community meetings. and They tend to be people um, that are skeptical and distrust the police. And the public comments tend to be along the lines of we need someone who is going to eradicate the code of silence in the police department and who's going to respect uh, the diversity of the communities in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So that that's a message that Guion Foreman and the police board already know very well, and, and, and that's going to be a priority of theirs, too, when they look at their finalists. Laura, remind us of the importance of this consent decree. Uh, CPD is supposed to be undergoing reform. It has federal oversight. But we know they've already missed a number of deadlines attached to that consent decree. How key is that to the hiring of this new person? Well, I think a lot of the discussion that board's going to have is going to center around getting someone who understands what it means to operate under a consent decree, what it means to negotiate one as a top police official. And so that person would probably have to have that kind of experience because there are so many aspects of policing that that consent decree covers. It just doesn't cover, you know, police training. It covers the way crime is fought. It covers you know, the way we've been in the past discriminating against certain citizens. It covers trust and the whole issue, all the issues that you heard Guy and Foreman talk about. So it's going to be really important for someone who understands what that means and that you have to abide by the law. You can't resist the law. You have to use that consent decree as a tool. Well, Heather, we have to, of course, point out the fact that Charlie Beck has overseen a consent decree in L.A. Is he a possible candidate for this job? So when he first met the press in the mayor's briefing room, he was asked that, of course, and he sort of laughingly said that his wife had put the kibosh on it, which, you know, is an interesting response. So he has ruled it out. He says, I'm not here as a permanent superintendent. But as the mayor has said, there are very few people who have any experience leading a police department through a consent decree. And in another lifetime, I was the city hall reporter for the Oakland Tribune, and their police department has been under a consent decree since the early 1990s. So these things can last decades, and they can drag on and on if you don't meet those rules. So Charlie Beck is in a rarefied class of 
police leaders who have led a police department into and out of a consent decree. So mm-hmm. the mayor has said that she's looking for somebody who has experience doing that. There aren't very many no. people other than mm-hmm. Charlie Beck who have done that. However, Chicago is a unique, wonderful town that I love. But and we don't necessarily tolerate outsiders real well. The last two outsiders who were named superintendent were shown the door. Gary McCarthy fired after the Laquan McDonald scandal. And Jody Weiss, who was, you know, a former federal agent, really never seemed to get his arms around the department. So you've already seen several aldermen saying, no, no, we want to promote from within. We want to show that we can take care of this. So that's going to be the real tension in this search. And it is. I mean, the rank and file always wants an insider more than an outsider. But, you know, some of these audience comments at these public hearings, they've said outsider. I mean, they mm. did I, they I, say why? Because I think they don't believe that an insider can really change the culture in the police department. One thing that's interesting about Charlie Beck, and I agree with Heather, he might be the most qualified given what uh, the Chicago Police Board is looking for. And maybe Mayor Lori Lightfoot implores him to apply. I don't know. It doesn't seem like he wants to. I mean, he's getting to he is at retirement age. <laughs> well, Laura, jump in here. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting, Heather, that you said that you found it was interesting that he's kind of blamed on his wife when I'm he was so asked. I'm tired of that. I'll <laughs> just I'll, I'll, yeah, I'm going to bust out my that's, opinion. That's a, go ahead. Yeah, I just, trope. Yeah. That's indeed a cover. But yes. but I think that Paris's point about maybe his wife is complaining because of his age and because sure. of his career. The weather is bad. L.A. is Absolutely. much different sort of climate. Especially he's coming for the winter, too. That's the right. worst thing. But right. I also think this issue of trust comes into play here because, as Paris pointed out last time, things didn't go as they claimed they were going to go. The, the police board picked the finalists and, and the mayor trumped all that. If we have another Charlie Beck come in now and say, oh, I don't want the job, and all of a sudden he gets the job, I think that would be a really sort of really bad message. I don't think Lori Lightfoot wants I, to send I remember, to the city right now. I find it interesting that Charlie Beck, if you see him in his public appearances, he's wearing a suit and tie and he's not wearing the police we uniform. We have not seen him in uniform and yet. One of the things that rank and file hated about people like Jody Weiss and outsiders is Jody Weiss wasn't a police officer. He'd come from uh, federal yeah. law enforcement and he wore the police uniform and they really didn't like that. I think he understands that. So maybe an outsider can command the respect of the rank and file. When you do little things like that, you wear a suit and tie instead of the uniform. Well, he also came in saying, I'm a cop's cop. Right. I come from a right. family of cops. cops. So I he, am cops. I am cops. So he really established himself with that identity right out of the door. Right. So this will be interesting to watch moving forward, but I think we have to acknowledge the fact that, yes, we have the consent decree we that has to be managed, but there's also a lot of trust that has to be rebuilt with the community. And Laura, just talk about some of those soft skills that's going to have to come in well, with this next candidate. Well, that was a sad thing about how Eddie Johnson's career ended because one of his biggest strengths was his relationship in the community. The fact that community activists would tell you they have his personal phone number and he answers. The fact that he was out in the community. The fact that he talked about the pain that the community suffered at the hands of police. He talked about that very honestly. And he was a home guy. He came from Cabrini Green. So I think that it's really important for someone to be able to have that touch. I don't think they necessarily have to be from Chicago to do that, but they have to be able to sincerely approach the community as a partner and, and to be believed and to be trusted when they say that. I can't even count how many times I heard Rahm Emanuel refer to Eddie Johnson as the son of Cabrini Green. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, he was. And, he, you know, he lived in the city. He grew up here. He'd spent his whole <clears throat> career here. And I think that there's something in native Chicagoans that respond to that. The question is, the, if the police department can be reformed, which I think is an open question, will it be easier if it's an outsider who's able to come in and he's nobody that nobody sent and he doesn't owe anybody? And he, is that a more effective way? Or is an outsider never going to be able to win the trust of the South and the West Sides? Hmm. This is Reset. I'm Jen White. 
And let's continue with more of our Friday News Roundup when we discuss some of the big stories of the week. A pair of credit rating agencies issued warnings Tuesday on the finances of both the state of Illinois and its largest city. High debt and pension costs leave Chicago one of the city's least prepared for a near-term recession. The Lightfoot Campaign Committee publicly called out every alderman who voted against the city budget. Some of them are saying it's like a public shaming or even public flogging for not getting on board and supporting the city budget that passed two weeks ago. So as we heard there, some other city news last month, Mayor Lightfoot got her city budget passed with the support of 39 aldermen, but 11 aldermen who voted against the budget say the mayor is creating uncalled backlash against them for those no votes. Heather, this is all about a website and the mayor's political pack. Just lay out what's happening. So last Friday, the mayor revealed this website that basically you can put in your address or your ward to find out how your alderman voted on the budget. So let's say you live in the 14th ward on the southwest side. Ed Burke is your alderman, has been for the last (laughs) 50 years. So you type in your address or his name and up pops, thank Ed Burke for his great vote on the city budget, (laughs) which is awkward because, of course, Lori Lightfoot has asked Ed Burke to resign in disgrace and to basically, you know, face the federal corruption charges that he's dealing with in silence. On the other hand, if you live in a place like Ravenswood, your alderman is Matt Martin, who's a young, progressive African-American guy who voted no. And he voted no really more out of sadness than in anger, just saying that there wasn't enough money for things like affordable housing and mental health care. And so up pops his results. Send alderman Matt Martin, who endorsed Lori Lightfoot for mayor, by the way, a mean email about how he should have made a different decision. So it really sets up this dichotomy, which I think is one of the stories to watch in 2020, because I am done with 2019, just (laughs) letting everybody know that the biggest source of opposition to Lori Lightfoot on the city council concentrated has been these nine progressive aldermen. And that is perhaps unexpected for somebody who came into office promising to chart a bold progressive vision for the city. And it really puts her at odds with those aldermen that you would think on some level would be her biggest supporters. Well, one of those no votes was Alderman Daniel Espada of Chicago's first ward on the city's north side. And here's a little bit of what he had to say about the website. We were putting a lot of revenue options on the table, options four or five months back that we were willing to fight for, that we were willing to go to Springfield for. We can disagree on the budget, but to say that we didn't put forward alternatives, I think, is not truthful. You know, Paris, what has the mayor's response been to criticism of this move? Well, she says hogwash. This isn't retaliation. It sure seems like retaliation, especially for a new day in city council. We're we're done with the rubber stamps and we're done with, you know, whipping everyone to get on board. But she says, no, we're just educating the public on who voted for what. But, you know, Alderman Daniel Espada there was angry because on that website it says Daniel Espada didn't propose any viable alternatives, blah, blah. And it's, it's a stock text for everybody. And he's saying, well, yes, we did. We went out there with a corporate head tax proposal with something that Mayor Emanuel got rid of. It's something the city used to have. Um, So you can't say that we didn't offer viable alternatives. So like Heather said, these are people you would think would be her natural allies. Why is she uh, going out with her campaign, calling them out by name? They're embarrassed by it. They don't like it. They're not happy about it. And she won They're saying, why not take the W and go? It was a big win on the budget. It wasn't a very controversial budget. So what's the point in trying to flog the remaining 11 holdouts who voted no? And they campaigned on certain things. They campaigned on more progressive sources of revenue. So what they're saying is they're just 
voting the way they campaign to their constituents. I don't understand the benefit for Mayor Lightfoot. I I think it's creating more dissension when they could be natural allies in many things. Well, Laura, what does this say about the mayor's relationship with city council, especially aldermen who don't agree with her? Paris talks about the past. I think it's a Rahm Emanuel move, and I think she wants to show she's the tough sheriff in town, and she's not going to take anything from anybody. She's trying to send a message to those who are thinking about running, not just these aldermen, but thinking about running against her in four years. Uh, Be careful what you do. I'm taking names. I'm building shits, and I'm raising money. Remember, it was her pack that's that's supporting this effort. And so she's using this as a political cudgel to keep people in in line. Hmm. It seems that there's some potential for that to backlash at the same time because she needs votes. She needs people. people. So Lori Lightfoot promised to be a new kind of mayor. And I think Laura is exactly right when she says that this is an old Chicago mayor type move. On one hand, I'm full of old Chicago political (coughs) cliches today, but politics ain't beanbag. And if you're going to vote against the mayor, you got to be prepared to take those lumps. However, Alderman Scott Wakesback, who was the first alderman to endorse Lori Lightfoot and is her finance chair, when he was announcing his vote for the budget, he was saying nobody who votes against this budget should be afraid of retaliation. Because if you voted against a daily budget or a Rahm Emanuel budget, you are going to see perhaps a slowdown in your calls getting returned, city services in your ward. There would be a price to be paid. And Alderman Wakesback stood up and said that is not going to happen this time around. The question is, did the mayor's political arm prove him wrong? And will that make it harder for him to whip the votes when necessary? Because this budget was a relatively easy lift. There wasn't a huge property tax increase. There wasn't a sales tax increase. There were no cuts to services. Though those property tax increases are not off the table yet, because there are some revenue sources that are still in question. So next year is worse, unless the casino gets started, unless legalized marijuana actually starts to bring money in. So nobody's out of the woods yet. Like There are tough votes ahead. And there are all kinds of areas in city council where, you know, the symbiosis with the mayor and city council could cleave apart. If you look at African-American aldermen right now, they want to force a vote on delaying implementation of legalized cannabis because um, they're kind of at a disadvantage. There are no minority owners among the first 40 or so licenses for stores. So with Rahm Emanuel and Mayor Daley, they did have rubber stamps. Right now with city council and Mayor Lightfoot, they still are feeling each other out. They don't really know what to expect from each other, even Even the staunchest supporters of Mayor Lightfoot don't know her that well. And so any one of these groups could align with another group, say the African-American alderman and the progressive alderman, and form an opposition block against her. Now, she's been very deft so far in her first several months at making sure that doesn't happen. But um, this is the story to watch, as Heather said, in 2020. Um, And are these strong-arm tactics going to annoy aldermen to the point where they're not going to be a reliable vote for her? Laura, did you want to jump in here? Yeah, I think you have to remember that this mayor came into office with no political base until she got elected. She has no political history. She's never run for office before. She's never been elected to office before. So she's still trying to feel her way through in terms of where she stands. And I think she's also trying to send a message to the the vast majority of people that voted for her and said they they wanted reform and they wanted good government. And and some of those folks don't necessarily agree with some of the what appears to be pie in the sky proposals that some progressive aldermen have put on the table. So something I've been thinking about is whether Mayor Lori Lightfoot is actually a progressive or if it's more accurate to call her a reformer. And I think that those sometimes are used interchangeably, but I think they mean very different things to very different people. And They can I, be both, though. I think, sure. Harold, I think Harold Washington was a sure. progressive reformer, sure. and, and, he, and he had a long history, progressive political history 
the, before he got in as a reformer. Sure. And so the mayor's been in office about six months. She's had several progressive victories. She raised the minimum wage. She required predictive scheduling uh-huh. for low-wage employees. But she's also sort of made several changes to the ethics ordinance as well. And of course, you know, we at The Daily Line are obsessed with detailing her <laughs> attempted rollback of aldermanic prerogative. So I think there's a tension there. And I think that will also sort of shape how she interacts with the city council and the progressive block of aldermen. It's the Friday News Roundup when we break down the biggest local and state news of the week. On our panel today, we have Heather Sharon, managing editor and city hall reporter with The Daily Line, ABC7 political analyst and Sun-Times columnist Laura Washington, and WTTW political correspondent and host Paris Schutz. Another story we're following today, a new study from the University of Illinois, shows that people living near the Medline Medical Equipment Sterilization Facility in Waukegan face higher cancer risks from toxic air pollution. It says that participants who live near the plant had higher levels of the cancer-causing chemical ethylene oxide in their blood than those who lived far away. A Medline spokesman says no conclusions can be drawn from the limited study. I want to hear each of your thoughts on this announcement from the ratings agency Moody's this week that Chicago is one of two large cities along with Detroit least prepared for a possible recession, something economists say could be on the horizon. Paris? Chicagoans better pray that the economy continues to grow because the city is not equipped to handle a recession. And what that Moody's study says is that it means that they believe if if a recession were to hit that the city would lose greater than 5% of the tax revenue that it takes in now, which could be catastrophic for the budget, considering the fact that it measured that more than 40% of the costs are fixed, meaning debt service and pension. That is the highest among all these big cities in the country. So there's nothing you can do. You have to pay these costs. And if you don't have as much money coming in, you borrow money, what do you do? And so you add on top of that, you know, the new assessments that have come out that have higher commercial property tax rates. This is a very, very delicate time financially now for the city of Chicago. It doesn't have reserves. It has these high fixed costs. So if a recession hits, it's going to take in a lot less tax revenue and it's going to still have the same level of spending it's going to need to stay in. How does it do that? Laura, your thoughts? That report compared us to Detroit being in the, in the most vulnerable. And I think that's not a good place you want to be, particularly when you look at some of the trends in the city, loss of population, some of right. the things that Paris has pointed out. And the fact is, we've discussed, we had this extremely fragile budget situation ongoing right now in a very prosperous time when Lori Lightfoot's not sure she's even going to be able to make the budget she just passed, much less next year's budget. Mm-hmm. So I'll yeah. push back a little bit. The city's rainy day fund is actually <clears throat> larger than it's been at any point in the past decade. So it's about $25 million right now, which is on par with other big cities. And, you know, if I were Mayor Lori Lightfoot sitting here, I would push back and say, you know what, we're actually in pretty good shape for a recession. And we have long disagreed with the way that Moody's evaluates our finances. They have been at odds with Moody's dating back for many, many years. So the issue with the city is that certainly it has high fixed costs. But when you compare it to other cities like New York or Los Angeles, the job base is relatively diverse. And that, I think, is what the mayor will point to when she sees these sort of reports and says, look, not only do we have a diverse tax base, but we're trying to further diversify it. And you saw the mayor hold a big event to sort of unveil her plan to increase the city's sort of economic vitality this week. So I think the mayor would probably say, you know, that's business as usual from Moody's. Well, and, and also, I, I don't like the Chicago-Detroit comparisons because from a governmental finance standpoint, they're very similar with fixed costs, pensions, debt, all that. But Chicago, as Heather said, 
the private sector is doing well. The economy is diversified. Detroit's economy wasn't. It was based on the auto industry. So Chicago, as long as you know the economy remains that way, there is a path out of this. It's going to be painful, but a recession is going to complicate that path so much. Oh, sure. There's no doubt about that. Well, just as we wrap up here, I want to hear what else you'll be watching in the next week, Laura. Oh, boy. Well, this impeachment, of course. Everyone, everyone, everyone's <laughs> oh, eyes are going to be on that. And it's interesting. This is a national story, but we're going to have a presidential debate next week. And we're down, thank God, to seven candidates now. It's Hallelujah. not so much of a cattle call. So that'll be interesting to see how the dynamic plays out. Paris, what about you? I'm just uh, getting ready for the holidays. and um, <laughs> Paris is done I'm, I'm, I'm done with <laughs> 2019, you, as Heather is. But I agree with Laura. I mean, I think impeachment is the story right now. And, you know, one interesting thing on a national scope is if you look at the presidential polls in swing states, it seems like this impeachment fight has benefited President Trump <gasps> because most of these Democratic candidates have lost ground. So I want to see how this plays out politically. While President Trump might scoff at the notion that he's being impeached, it seems like... The longer the impeachment drags out, it actually politically benefits him. Hmm. Heather, I'll give you the last word. Well, Wednesday, the city council meets for the last time in 2019, after which I will actually be done with 2019. And at that meeting, Alderman Jason Irvin is going to dig deep into the parliamentary tricks of the city council and try to force a vote on a measure supported by him and the other members of the Black Caucus that would prohibit the sale of marijuana in Chicago until July 1st, when the so-called social equity applicants will be allowed to sell marijuana because right now, as of January 1st, if you buy legal marijuana in Chicago, it will be from a white-owned firm, and he has a problem with that. Well, that's it for the Friday News Roundup. Our panel today, WTTW political correspondent and host, Paris Schutz, Daily Line managing editor and City Hall reporter, Heather Sharon, and Chicago Sun-Times columnist and ABC7 political analyst, Laura Washington. Everybody, thanks. I don't know that I'll see you before 2020, so Happy New Year. Happy, happy New happy Year. And that's Reset for this Friday. Watch out for a new Reset in your feed Monday afternoon. Just one more week until the holidays. We're almost there. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Let's talk again soon. a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.